D101.6, Reporting and Investigating of AFD Apparatus and Vehicle Collisions. Purpose is to establish a procedure for documenting and investigating motor vehicle collisions involving any AFD apparatus or vehicle. Policy A. The Austin Fire Department defines a motor vehicle collision as any damage or injury caused by the motion of a motor vehicle, whether the damage occurs on a public street or private property. B. All AFD vehicle collision events meeting the above definition, regardless of the amount of damage, shall be reported to and investigated by the appropriate battalion chief or staff supervisor. Acting battalion chiefs will not conduct the investigation. If an acting battalion chief is on duty, the next closest battalion chief will be assigned. If necessary and available, the safety chief may also assist with the investigation. C. The initial determination of preventable or non-preventable will be made by the BC. This ruling will be reviewed by the shift commander and risk management chief. In the event there is not a consensus on a final ruling, the assistant chief over risk management will make the final determination. D. Company officers and appropriate staff personnel are charged with ensuring weekly that their city vehicle contains a collision report kit, the contents of which can be obtained from FireNet at safety-collision-exposures-ioj-forms. Collision events involving personal vehicles will be subject to the same process when involved in a collision while operated on city business. Personal vehicles are not required to have a collision kit as the investigating officer will have the required forms. The collision kit shall contain 1. Austin Fire Department Vehicle Inspection Checklist 2. Exchange of Information Form This is a two-part form. The top section is completed to obtain information from the other driver and the bottom section is completed to provide information to the other driver. And 3. The City of Austin Fiscal Responsibility Card E. Fire department personnel involved in a collision will not collect patient refusal forms from any person involved in the accident. F. Any AFD apparatus or vehicle collision may require drug and alcohol screening of the AFD driver. When the criteria for screening is met, an investigating officer is responsible for notifying the shift commander, who will then be responsible for ensuring this requirement is completed under the existing department protocols. Procedures A. Whenever an AFD apparatus, vehicle, or privately owned vehicle conducting a city business, including traveling between stations, is involved in a collision event, fire dispatch should be notified immediately. Civilians involved in a collision while operating their POV are not required to make notification unless they are filing for indemnification. Fire dispatch will initiate the collision group page. For any incident involving injury or significant mechanism of injury, EMS should be requested to respond to the scene. If there is no patient transported, EMS may or may not collect patient refusals in accordance with the Clinical Operating Guidelines definition of a patient. B. The collision report kit should be completed after notifying fire dispatch, securing the scene, treating any injuries, and prior to leaving the scene. C. The investigating officer shall respond and determine if the collision should be investigated by APD. If private property is damaged, APD or the appropriate law enforcement agency will be requested to investigate. The investigating officer will then discuss the incident with involved personnel. D. Notification and coordination with the City of Austin Fleet Accident Group is normally the responsibility of risk management. The battalion chief or staff supervisor will take the following steps if damage requiring repair occurs. 1. Drivable. If damage occurs during normal business hours, the Fleet Accident Group at 6400 Balm Road, should be contacted immediately to schedule an inspection. If the damage occurs after hours, contact the fleet accident group on the morning of the next business day. And two, non-drivable. If a damaged vehicle is not drivable, the service center to which the vehicle goes for normal maintenance and the fleet accident group should be notified. After hours, fire dispatch should be contacted for assistance paging the on-call mechanic to evaluate and facilitate a vehicle exchange. E. The investigating officer shall collect all appropriate documentation and deliver it to risk management to forward to the fleet accident group.
F. All AFD personnel involved in the collision shall document the incident in writing using the electronic forms from the investigating officer. These reports should, whenever possible, be completed on scene. G. The investigating officer will make the initial determination as to whether or not the collision was preventable or non-preventable. 1. A preventable collision is any collision in which the member failed to take reasonable action that would have avoided or prevented it. 2. A non-preventable collision is any vehicle collision that occurred despite the member having taken reasonable action to avoid or prevent it. And 3. The investigating officer shall evaluate the reasonableness of the actions of the member using the reasonable person standard. For example, what a member with similar training and experience would be expected to do in a similar situation. H. Once the form has been completed, the involved members, division chief, and the risk management division chief shall review the investigator's findings. If their conclusion is that the collision event was indeed non-preventable, no further action is required. I. If the preventable collision was determined to be the result of an error in judgment and did not involve a violation of department policy, the member's BC or section supervisor shall be responsible for creating a remediation plan for the involved member. This plan shall be presented to the involved member's division chief for review and approval prior to implementation. Remediation plans can include, but are not limited to, documented oral counseling, a performance improvement plan, PIP, a notice of unacceptable behavior and performance, and driver training. J. Once the remediation plan for a judgment error has been completed, the member's BC or section supervisor shall provide written notification to their division chief. 1. A copy of the PIP shall be sent to the member's division chief for retention. 2. A copy of the Notice of Unacceptable Behavior or Performance shall be forwarded to the Professional Standards Office. K. If the preventable collision was determined to have involved a violation of department policy, the investigative report shall be forwarded to the PSO for investigation. L. If the preventable collision event involved the member's third judgment error in a rolling 18-month period, serious injury, a death, or major property damage, an investigative team shall be formed to review the investigative file and recommend further action. This team shall be comprised of the following members, a PSO representative, the involved member's BC or section supervisor, the involved member's division chief, the risk management division chief, and other members as needed or appropriate. M. The investigative team's purpose will be to identify the root cause of the preventable collision event and create a remediation plan. This plan can include, but is not limited to, the following, documented oral counseling, a notice of unacceptable behavioral performance, driver training, a performance improvement plan, changes or additions to AFD policy, referral to the PSO, and any other applicable actions. N. The involved member's BC or section supervisor assigned to the investigative team shall be responsible for the creation of a report. This report shall detail the team's findings, actions, and or recommendations. Once complete, this report shall be sent to the involved member's division chief and the risk management division chief. O. Risk management shall be responsible for maintaining a database of AFD collisions and statistics. Risk management shall be responsible for conducting trend analysis of AFD collisions. And P. Risk management will provide quarterly collision updates to the Joint Health and Safety Advisory Committee. The Joint Health and Safety Advisory Committee will analyze the data and will be responsible for making any recommendations for modifications to vehicle and apparatus operations practices, equipments, or policies. D102.1 Use of City Vehicles Purpose is to establish the proper use and care of AFD vehicles assigned to support staff. Policy A. AFD provides daytime and or overnight use of a city vehicle as they are available for those employees whose normal duties require a substantial amount of driving while conducting official city business and or who are subject to callback. 1. Assignment of vehicles to individuals requires the approval of the appropriate assistant chief. Assistant chiefs are accountable for the use of vehicles assigned to official use only 
and not for personal use. Official use is defined as the use of city vehicles in the performance of any fire department task or job. Vehicles may be used during duty hours for the acquisition of meals and or breaks. Members will determine that the use of the vehicle is official by ensuring the use relates to the task assigned by their division or section. If there is any doubt about whether the particular use of a vehicle is authorized, the member shall contact his or her immediate supervisor. 2. Except for emergency situations, members driving a city vehicle are prohibited from using cell phones in AFD vehicles while the vehicle is in motion without the use of a hands-free device. 3. Passengers who ride in AFD vehicles must be AFD and city employees. Non-city employees may be transported in fire department vehicles when related to the official duties of the division or section. Exceptions must be approved by the appropriate assistant chief. All passengers are required to utilize seat belts when riding in AFD vehicles. 4. Authorization to take a vehicle out of the city must be given by the appropriate assistant chief. 5. Unauthorized use of AFD vehicles will be grounds for disciplinary action up to and including an indefinite suspension or termination. This includes driving a vehicle while intoxicated or under the influence of intoxicants or illegal drugs. Procedures A. Members shall be aware of the fact that fire department vehicles are purchased and maintained with public funds. Therefore, use of these vehicles requires an accountability beyond that which is required when driving a personal vehicle. Members will drive courteously and must comply with all applicable traffic laws and AFD safety regulations. All fire department members are responsible for notifying the appropriate assistant chief of any vehicle or vehicular equipment incidents that are observed as illegal or abusive. B. AFD members will perform a routine inspection of their assigned vehicle on a weekly basis. At a minimum, the following areas will be inspected. Proper tire inflation, proper levels of gasoline, water, and oil, availability of required safety equipment, fire extinguishers, flares, chains, first aid kits, etc., and availability of a collision report kit in the glove compartment. C. Vehicles requiring emergency maintenance during normal working hours shall be reported to the immediate supervisor. After normal working hours, contact fire dispatch. Members will not operate unsafe equipment and supervisors will ensure the removal of such units from service. Supervisors will ensure that unsafe vehicles are reported and repaired prior to being returned to service. D. Vehicles shall be secure when not in use or when unattended. The transmission will be placed in park. The engine will be turned off with the keys removed. The emergency brake will be set and the vehicle will be closed and locked. E. Vehicles will be parked in a secure city parking lot when the member is off-duty unless the member is subject to callback as described below. 1. Emergency response callback. Fire department personnel will be required to take their assigned fire department vehicle to their residence. The individual's home can be outside the city limits as long as it is in the city's extraterritorial jurisdiction, ETJ, after normal working hours when subject to emergency response callback. This condition only applies if the Code 3 emergency response of this member is absolutely vital to the safety or the mission of the Austin Fire Department. Authorization to take a vehicle home under this condition can only be granted by the fire chief. And 2. Unscheduled callback. Fire Department personnel will be allowed to take their assigned Fire Department vehicle to their residence after normal working hours when it is determined that they will be subject to unscheduled callback and they live within the city of Austin. Authorization to take a vehicle home under this condition can only be granted by the fire chief or assistant chief responsible for the affected division or section. F. A member involved in an accident while operating an AFD vehicle or while driving a personal automobile on official city business will report the accident as required by AFD policy D-101 reporting an investigation of apparatus and vehicle accidents. All employees using their personal vehicle to conduct city business 
and being paid mileage reimbursement shall comply with all provisions applicable to accidents in a city vehicle. D103.1 Care of AFD Apparatus and Vehicles Purpose is to establish procedures for the care and maintenance of department apparatus and vehicles to incorporate the City of Austin's rules for fuel conservation with AFD policy. Policy A. Officers shall ensure department apparatus and vehicles are properly cared for and maintained. B. Drivers and relief drivers shall care for and maintain their assigned apparatus. C. Firefighters shall assist drivers and relief drivers with caring for and maintaining department apparatus. D. All apparatus shall be maintained in accordance with this policy. E. Officers shall ensure drivers and relief drivers follow proper procedures for idling of apparatus including turbocharger cooldown and or exhaust regeneration. Procedure A. Apparatus shall be kept clean. Necessary cleaning of apparatus after 2200 hours will be completed the following morning. B. Apparatus shall be cleaned by hose stream after each run during inclement weather. C. The officer and the specialist that will be relieved at 1200 hours are responsible for ensuring that the apparatus and equipment are clean prior to shift change. Even if needed, washing the apparatus will not be required when the temperature is below 40 degrees at 1100 hours. D. The underside of an apparatus will be cleaned by hose stream only to remove mud, dust, or other types of accumulation. This is to prevent the removal of lubricants on parts under the apparatus and avoid the potential of damage. E. During times of water restrictions, routine washing or rinsing of apparatus may only be performed on the designated watering day for the station and before 1000 hours. Exceptions can be made when preparing for public events such as a funeral procession or parade or at the discretion of the officer when the apparatus is extremely dirty. F. During severe weather conditions, the use of tire chains and cables may be prudent. Chains and cables will be applied at the officer's discretion when conditions warrant their use for safety. Vehicles shall not travel in excess of 35 miles per hour with chains and cables installed. Conditions and tightness of chains and cables should be checked upon each use of the apparatus and immediately tightened when necessary. Chains and cables for each apparatus shall be kept in a labeled bucket at the fire station for each unit assigned there. They shall be checked for condition and fit by the crew coming on duty October 1st each year so that potential replacements can be procured before needed. The bucket containing the chains and cables shall be stored on the apparatus from October 1st until April 1st. Labeled buckets containing chains and cables shall not be removed from reserve units by operations members. G. When an apparatus is parked and shut off at a station, the apparatus must be plugged in using the station shoreline. H. Storage cans and containers should be clearly marked as to their contents. Fuel cans shall have a tag attached stating the contents, date of filling, and person's name who filled it. Fuel that is older than three months or of unknown age shall be disposed of properly. I. Members shall not refuel any vehicle while the motor is running or the ignition switch is in the on position. Smoking is prohibited in the vicinity of any refueling operation. J. Booster tanks and pump cans shall be refilled on the fire ground when practical and resources are available. If a company must remain out of service when leaving an incident, it shall be returned to full in-service status as soon as possible. All firefighters shall assist in getting the apparatus back in service. K. Idling of apparatus and vehicles. 1. AFD apparatus and vehicles will not be left idling unless it is essential for work performance. Apparatus should be shut off when parked and unattended to avoid engine damage during periods of prolonged engine idle. If it is not practical to shut off the engine, use the high idle feature. A. Fire apparatus should not be left running beyond their required cooldown or regeneration period under non-emergency conditions. B. Support vehicles should not be left idling unattended for more than two minutes under non-emergency conditions. C. 
Vehicles will not be parked in front of a building's fresh air intake. D. Examples of acceptable idling. Apparatus left idling for emergency light use to protect civilians or firefighters. Firefighter or civilian hyper or hypothermic stress needs during calls, training, etc. Command post BC vehicle left idling for lights, radios, etc. Participating in hydrant maintenance when the temperature is extremely hot or cold. E. Examples of unacceptable idling. Leaving apparatus idling beyond the required 4-minute cooldown. Leaving vehicles and apparatus running with emergency lights on at the incident base at multiple alarms. Leaving vehicles and apparatus running while performing in-service building inspections. Starting vehicles or apparatus with the intention of cooling down the interior before driving. Support vehicles going through a long drive through line for food instead of parking the vehicle and going inside to order. And vehicles or apparatus running with AC for operator or crew to work when the task can be done elsewhere at an office or fire station inside a building, etc. And disregarding the City of Austin's Ozone Action Days procedures. 2. Turbochargers. Turbochargers force air under pressure into the cylinders which increases initial horsepower for acceleration. Turbochargers on AFD apparatus kick in at 1500 RPM. They reach an operating temperature of up to 300 degrees Fahrenheit. If sufficient idle cooldown time is not allowed before the motor is turned off, the turbocharger temperature can increase to 1500 degrees Fahrenheit or higher. At this temperature, the lubricating oil boils off of the bearings and the result is bearing breakdown. The effect of not cooling the turbo is cumulative. Each time this happens, damage occurs until a final time when the turbo blows apart, causing the apparatus to be out of service for an extended period of time. Turbo repair costs can exceed several thousand dollars. This damage can be avoided by allowing the apparatus to idle for four minutes before turning the motor off. Therefore, all AFD apparatus shall be allowed to cool down while idling for four minutes anytime the apparatus has been operated to 1500 RPM. Care should be taken to avoid reaching 1500 RPMs when backing into the station after the cooldown period. 3. Diesel exhaust regeneration. Apparatus delivered after 2007 may be equipped with a regeneration system. This system consists of an oxidation catalyst and a particulate filter. Most of the soot particles containing carbon and ash are captured in the particulate filter. The accumulated carbon disappears if the particulate filter is heated to the self-cleaning temperature. Once this temperature is reached, the carbon reacts with the nitrogen dioxide and burns to become carbon dioxide. This process is called regeneration. Failure to perform a timely regeneration can result in the engine derating and the unit going out of service. 3A. Apparatus operators should reference the specific operating manual of the vehicle they are assigned to for the proper regeneration procedure needed. The regeneration cycle causes the engine to operate above 1500 RPMs. Therefore, the apparatus should be allowed to cool down for 4 minutes prior to shutting it down. B. Regeneration normally lasts between 20 and 40 minutes. During the process, the exhaust temperature can reach 1500 degrees Fahrenheit. The high exhaust temperature can cause burns to exposed skin as well as cause material in the flow of the exhaust pipe to start burning. C. Refueling of generators or other powered equipment that may allow gas or other vapors to ignite, explode, or contribute to a fire should not be performed during the regeneration cycle. And D. Regeneration should be performed outside of the station bay and the apparatus operator should ensure a 5-foot perimeter is maintained around the exhaust pipe and that it is not attached to the station exhaust evacuation system or directed towards a surface that will burn or melt at high temperatures, including grass or asphalt. D104.1 Inspection and Preventative Maintenance of Apparatus Purpose A. To ensure safe mechanical condition of each vehicle before it's placed into service. B. 
to establish a policy for checking readiness of in-service and reserve apparatus, and C, to establish procedures for preventative maintenance of apparatus and apparatus-mounted equipment. Background, fire apparatus must be maintained in top condition to ensure safety and to be immediately available for service. Firefighters must take an active part in caring for apparatus through routine inspections, preventative maintenance, and by using correct procedures while operating them. A preventative maintenance program corrects many minor troubles before they become major. Discovering whether these apparatus harbor potentially dangerous conditions is a safety priority for every firefighter. Neglect of problems could result in equipment failure and the loss of life. In addition, state law requires a pre-trip inspection be completed on any vehicle requiring the operator to hold a commercial driver's license. Because it is impractical to complete an inspection before every emergency response, it is important that a thorough preventative maintenance program be part of the daily operations routine. The preventative maintenance program consists of a daily operational check, a detailed weekly general apparatus inspection, a weekly floor test for pumps, a weekly inspection and pressure test of water flow appliances, and a weekly check of aerial equipment. Policy A. It is the responsibility of the company officer and assigned driver operator to ensure the operational readiness of the apparatus at all times. All checks and preventative maintenance through the regular apparatus shall also be performed on any reserve or specialty apparatus currently assigned to the station. B. The tables included with this policy are preventative maintenance check sheets. Company officers should ensure that these check sheets and inspections are performed daily and or weekly as applicable. These inspection procedures apply to all pumping and aerial apparatus. While they do not cover every aspect of preventative maintenance, they will cover the most important. C. Any problems identified during apparatus inspection shall be documented in the company journal and reported to operation support via the apparatus vehicle repair request form available on the FireNet. D. The apparatus and vehicle repair request form is used to track apparatus maintenance and is completed even if a request is made verbally to a mechanic or if repairs have already been completed. Procedures A. The company officer and driver operator relieved at 1200 hours are responsible for ensuring the apparatus is in full operational readiness mode. Apparatus readiness and any difficulties with apparatus readiness and any pertinent information to be passed on must be documented in the company journal, reported via the FireNet, and passed on to the company officer and driver operator of the relieving shift. The expectation is the oncoming crew will be able, if necessary, to respond at 1200 hours confident the apparatus and equipment are in working condition for the response. B. Driver operators should read and review the operations manual and be familiar with all particular functions of the regularly assigned apparatus. C. When putting a reserve apparatus in service, the driver operator shall perform the complete daily apparatus general inspection. The company officer shall ensure the driver operator has the ability to operate the apparatus. Any questions regarding its operation should be directed to Ed Services Division. After hours, members of the Ed Services Division may be contacted through Fire Dispatch. If no one from Ed Services can be contacted, questions should be directed to the on-call fleet mechanic. D. Although an inspection can be completed by a single individual, it is most effectively accomplished by two members. However, the driver operator maintains the responsibility for completing the inspection. E. All operational tests are performed in an outdoor environment with the apparatus disconnected from any ground shore lines and or vehicle exhaust removal systems. F. Daily apparatus general inspection. 1. Interior of apparatus. Inspect the interior of the apparatus for the following. The interior is clean and free of debris. Seat and steering wheel, if adjustable, are adjusted for the current driver operator. All safety belts are securely mounted, adjust, and latch properly. Dome lights, front, rear, left, right, drivers, and step well all function properly. Unusual noises when the engine is running. Equipment and tools carried in the cab are inventoried, inspected, and secured. Map books and pre-plans are inventoried. Inspect 
or inventory any miscellaneous items, SCBAs are properly secured and mirrors adjusted for the current driver operator. 2. Gauges and switches. Ensure the following gauges, meters, and switches are working properly. Pressure and temperature gauges, voltage and electrical meters, all electrical equipment switches, high idle, turn signals, headlight switches, windshield wiper controls, air conditioner and or fans, apparatus status display screen if equipped, and door jar indicator lamp is functional. 3. Siren and horn. All audible warning devices are tested. The public address system is tested. 4. Radio, NOx, and MDC. Mobile and portable radios are inventoried and inspected. NOx box is checked for proper operation, and the MDC is restarted to allow software updates to be loaded and the oncoming crew is logged on. 5. SCBA. SCBA are inspected and secured in accordance with policy D202, SCBA and pass inspection. 6. Exterior of apparatus. Inspect the following items on the exterior of the apparatus. Mirrors, securely mounted to the vehicle. Windshield, clean, no cracks or chips. Windshield wipers, blades and arms in good condition. Doors, latched and windows working properly. New body damage, dents, scrapes or scratches. Compartment doors, all exterior compartment doors are not damaged or operate properly and latch securely. And equipment and tools, all equipment and tools carried or mounted on the exterior of the apparatus are inspected and secured. 7. Lights. Inspect the following visual warning devices for damage and proper operation. Headlights, high and low beams, turn signals, brake lights, four-way flashers, emergency lighting, running lights, side markers, step lights, scene and alley lights, and floodlights. Note, the engine must be running when the lights are checked. Without the engine running, the load manager and light sequencer will not operate properly. Turn signals and four-way flashers must be checked separately. 8. Wheels, rims, and tires. Inspect the wheels, rims, and tires for the following. Damaged or bent rims. Rust around wheel nuts may indicate the nuts are loose. Tread damage or separation. No fabric should show through the tread or sidewall. Dual tires do not contact each other or other parts of the vehicle. And mud flaps are not damaged and are mounted securely. 9. Water and foam tanks. Water and foam tank levels are visually inspected from the fill port to ensure the tank is full. The pump panel tank level indicator is compared to the actual level to ensure it is working properly. 10. Pump, hose, and nozzles. The fire pump engaged and checked to ensure proper operation. Hoses and nozzles inspected for damage and inventoried as required. 11. Appliances and adapters. Appliances and adapters inspected for damage and inventoried as required. 12. Aerial ladder and stabilizer. The PTO engaged in the stabilizers and aerial ladder checked to ensure proper operation. When the aerial ladder is in motion, a firefighter on the ground must be used as a spotter to assist the aerial operator with ensuring the ladder remains a safe distance from obstacles. 13. Aerial waterway. The aerial waterway inspected for damage and the pinnable waterway locked in the rescue position. 14. Compartments. Each compartment inventoried to ensure apparatus has a full complement of equipment. 15. Medical response equipment. Refer to policy D302 medical response equipment for inspection instructions. 16. Extinguishers. Extinguishers inventoried and expected to ensure they are full. 17. Ground ladders. Ground ladders are inspected for damage and the heat sensor labels checked to ensure the ladders have not been exposed to significant heat. 18. Hand tools. Hand tools are inventoried and inspected for damage. 19. Power tools. Power tools inspected and an operational check done according to the manufacturer directions. 20. Generator and inverter. The apparatus generator inspected and operational check done according to the manufacturer directions. 21. Miscellaneous. Any miscellaneous or specialty equipment not listed above are inventoried and inspected according to manufacturer directions. G. Weekly Apparatus General Inspections. G1. Interior of Apparatus. Inspect the interior of the apparatus for the following. Seat and steering wheel, if adjustable, adjusted for the current driver operator. 
Steering wheels check to ensure wheel play of no more than 10 degrees, approximately 2 inch of movement at the rim of a 20 inch steering wheel. All gauges and meters are working properly. See specific apparatus operation and maintenance manual for correct operating range. Mirrors adjusted for the current driver operator. Note, all equipment is secured after inspection and the cab prepared to be tilted. 2. Brake system. The dual air system and parking brake tested. Using appropriate and safe working procedures, i.e. wheel chocks, set parking brake applied, transmission in neutral, start the engine to build up air pressure. Cut out. When the air governor cutout pressure is reached, note the pressure, maximum of 130 psi. Cut in. Apply and release the service brake pedal gently to allow the air pressure to drop and the air governor to cut in. Note the pressure when it begins to rise, minimum of 85 psi. Allow the system to build back to cut out pressure. While recharging, it should take less than 45 seconds to build pressure from 85 to 100 psi. Static test. Shut the engine off, release the parking brake, and check the pressure gauge for one minute. Note any pressure drop, 2 psi per minute is allowed. Applied test. With the engine off, release the parking brake and fully apply the foot brake. Allow pressure to stabilize, then hold it for one minute, observing any drop in pressure. 3 psi per minute is allowed. Low air warning devices and emergency brake test. Turn on the ignition, but do not start the engine. Release the parking brake. Gently apply and release the foot brake until the low air warning devices activate. Must activate at no less than 60 psi. Continue depleting the system until the parking brake engages. Must activate at no less than 40 psi in both tanks. Start the engine and allow the system to build pressure. Air pressure should build to a pressure above 60 psi in the rear tank within 45 seconds. 3. Brake air reservoir tanks. Collection of moisture inside air reservoirs due to condensation is normal even if the system is equipped with an automatic dryer. Petcock valves on each tank are used to bleed accumulated condensation. The brake system will require recharging. 4. Tire pressure and tread depth. Inspect all the tires for the following. Air pressure. See apparatus operational manual for correct PSI, cut or cracked valve stems, and state law requires a tread depth of at least 4 30 seconds of an inch in every major groove on the tire. Place a quarter upside down into several tread grooves across the tire. If part of Washington's head is always covered, more than 4 30 seconds of an inch of tread depth is remaining. 5. Engine compartment. A visual inspection of the engine compartment should consist of the following. Leaks in the engine compartment are on the ground below. Fuel coolant, oil, power steering fluid, hydraulic fluid, battery fluid, inspect belts for tightness and excessive wear, chassis frame, cracks and welds, turbocharger, excessive dirt, oil, or grease could hide damage or defects. 6. Batteries. Visually inspect the batteries for the following. Battery condition, connections and tie-downs, terminals for proper connection and corrosion. 7. Electrical system. Visually inspect the electrical system for the following. Cracked, worn electrical wiring insulation or alternator belts for tightness. 8. Brake drums and shoes. Visually inspect the brake drums or shoes for the following. Cracked drums. Shoes or pads with oil, grease, or brake fluid on them. Shoes worn dangerously thin, missing, or broken. 9. Exhaust systems. Visually inspect the exhaust system for the following. Loose, broken, or missing exhaust pipes. Loose, broken, or missing mounting brackets, clamps, bolts, or nuts. And exhaust system parts are leaking. 10. Suspension system. Visually inspect the suspension system for the following. Cracked or broken spring hangers. Missing or broken leaves in any leaf spring. If one quarter or more are missing, it will put the vehicle out of service, but any defect could be dangerous. Broken leaves in a multi-leaf spring or leaves that have shifted so they might hit a tire or other vehicle part. Leaking shock absorbers. Torque rod or arm. 
U-bolts, spring hangers, or other axle positioning parts that are cracked, damaged, or missing, and any loose, cracked, broken, or missing frame members. 11. Fuel system. Inspect the following parts of the fuel system. Fuel lines for damage or loose connections. Exterior of filters for leaks and that fuel is below the replaced filter line. 12. Crankcase oil. Inspect the following parts of the crankcase. Engine crankcase for visible damage or leaks. Crankcase oil level. Note the oil level must be inspected on level ground with the engine off for at least 15 minutes. 13. Cooling system. Inspect the following parts of the cooling system. Radiator for damage and leaks and level of the vehicle coolant. Note, the coolant level indicator can become stained and may appear full at any level. If the indicator appears stained, the coolant level should be checked by removing the radiator cap. Danger! To avoid burns from steam or coolant, the radiator pressure cap should only be removed when the engine is cool. 14. Transmission. Inspect the following parts of the transmission system. Transmission housing and drive shaft for visible damage and leaks. Transmission fluid level. Note. Transmission fluid must be tested with the fluid at operating temperature, between 140 and 220 degrees, with the engine running at idle. 15. Steering system. Inspect the following parts of the steering system. Power steering fluid level. Missing nuts, bolts, cotter keys, or other parts. Bent, loose, worn, or broken parts, such as steering columns, steering gearbox, or tie rods, and leaks in the power steering system. 16. Generator or inverter. Inspect the onboard generator per manufacturer instructions. Test all electrical extension cords and portable lights. 17. Miscellaneous. Emergency shutdown if equipped. Check control wires for emergency shutdown function. Know how to reset. Note. Do not test while the engine is in operation as there is a possibility of damaging the engine. H. Weekly pumping apparatus floor test. 1. Visually inspect the priming fluid reservoir and refill if necessary. 2. Inspect the gaskets and all discharge caps for excessive wear and or corrosion. Replace as necessary. 3. Ensure all discharge drain valves are closed and all discharge outlets with the exception of any pre-connected hand lines or cap. 4. Place apparatus in the pump mode. 5. Open tank to pump valve. 6. Open all cap discharge outlet and gate valves. 7. Check valve indicating lamp for proper illumination. 8. Use a primer to discharge any air in the pump. 9. If the apparatus is equipped with a pressure governor, ensure it is in PSI mode. 10. Open pump recirculating or tank fill valve. 11. Obtain 125 PSI discharge pressure on the master discharge gauge. 12. Set the pressure control device. For pressure governor, with the master discharge set at 125 PSI, note the RPM level indicated and then slowly close the recirculating and tank fill valve. A noticeable drop in the apparatus RPM should be noted. When the valve is reopened, the RPM should return to the original level. For manual discharge relief valves, with the relief valve set at 125 PSI, slowly close the recirculating and tank fill valve. The green light should go out. The orange light should activate, indicating the valve is diverting pressure. The orange light should go out when the recirculating valve is reopened. 13. Check individual discharge outlet gauges to ensure they indicate approximately the same pressure as the master discharge gauge. The acceptable variance is plus or minus 10 PSI of the master discharge gauge. 14. Check drain valves for leaks under pressure. 15. Check pump housing for excessive leaking. 16. Check the discharge piping for leaks. 17. Check the all-cap discharge outlets for leaks. 18. Return throttle to idle. 19. Close discharge gate valves and open the drain valves to relieve pressure on each outlet. 20. Remove discharge caps. 21. With the caps removed, obtain 125 PSI discharge pressure. 22. Check all uncapped discharge outlets for leaks. 23. Return the throttle to idle. 24. Open the drain valves to relieve pressure on each outlet. 25. 
replace caps, and 26. Perform the weekly inspection and pressure test of water flow appliances. I. Weekly inspection and pressure test of water flow appliances. A visual inspection and pressure test of the gauges on water flow appliances used on 2-inch hose and larger carried on pumping aerial and quin apparatus should be completed weekly by the pumping apparatus assigned to the station. 1. Appliance visual inspection. There is no obvious damage to the appliance such as dents, cracks, or any other defects, i.e. missing parts which may impair operation. There is no damage to storts or threaded connections and the coupling lugs are not missing, broken, or worn. The maximum operating pressure is clearly marked. The waterway is clear of debris and obstructions. The valve handles are operational and attached correctly. The valves operate to full open and close smoothly and freely. The internal gaskets are present, have a tight fit, and are not deteriorated and do not protrude from their seat into the waterway. All swiveling connections rotate freely. Devices meant to lock in place or hold down the appliance are operational. Any appliance failing the visual inspection shall be reported to operation support via the apparatus and vehicle repair request form available on FireNet and noted in the company journal. Do not perform the gauge pressure test on any appliance that does not pass the visual inspection. 2. Appliance Gauge Pressure Test Attach each appliance with a gauge to an apparatus outlet. Note, smaller appliances can be connected directly to a discharge outlet while appliances with connections larger than 3 inches are placed on the ground and connected to the apparatus with a section of hose. Ensure the appliance valves are fully closed. Charge the appliance and obtain a pressure of 50 PSI on the apparatus master discharge gauge. Exhaust any trapped air from the appliance and hose. Check the valves for leaks. The appliance pressure gauge must be checked against the master discharge gauge at 50, 100, and 150 PSI. The acceptable variances is plus or minus 10 PSI of the master discharge gauge. Note. Appliances with integrated pressure relief valves are pressure tested to ensure the pressure relief valve activates at the correct pressure depending on the apparatus it is carried on. Do not exceed 200 PSI while attempting to activate the relief valve. If the relief valve does not activate at the set pressure, place the appliance out of service and report the problem to operation support via the apparatus and vehicle repair request form available on FireNet and noted in the company journal. Return throttle to idle. Close apparatus valves and relieve any pressure on the outlets. J. Weekly Aerial Device Service Inspection Note, the aerial apparatus should be parked in a suitable location for full rotation and extension of the aerial device. When the aerial ladder is in motion, a firefighter on the ground must be used as a spotter to assist the aerial operator with ensuring the aerial ladder remains a safe distance from obstacles. 1. Check the hydraulic fluid level in the reservoir. 2. Properly engage the PTO and aerial master to place the apparatus in aerial mode. 3. Stabilizers. Inspect stowed stabilizers for the following. External damage and leaking hydraulic fluid. Warning lights clean and undamaged. Damage to stabilizer pads and stowing slots. Properly deploy stabilizers and place stabilizer pads under each foot with locking pins in place if equipped. Verify activation of stabilizer audible warning alarms. Inspect deployed stabilizers for the following. Stabilizer warning lights. Damage, fluid leaks, and loose or damaged hoses. Scoring on sliding beams inadequate lubrication. Lock pins present, sufficiently secured, and are not bent, cracked, or severely worn. Elongation or cracks in stabilizer locking pin holes. Observe apparatus for stabilizer sagging. Inspect turntable assembly for the following. Proper gear meshing and alignment. Evidence of wear and inadequate lubrication to drive the pinion and turntable gear teeth. Turntable bolts for presence and tightness. Equipment storage areas adjacent to turntables for potential obstructions. Check turntable handrails and fall protection devices for visible damage and loose points of attachment. Inspect the pedestal control station for the following. Signs of wear and damage. 
Controls move freely and returned in a neutral position when released. Inspect hoisting cylinders for the following. Visible damage, fluid leaks, and insecurity. In cap secure with no hardware missing. Inspect the aerial ladder extension and retraction system for the following. Visible damage and wear. Hydraulic cylinders for visible damage, fluid leaks, and insecurity. Cables for corrosion, broken strands, excessive wear, proper tension, stretching, and damaged end connections. Sheaves, guards, guides, and all other surfaces in contact with cables are in good condition and free of rough edges. On each section of the bedded aerial ladder, check the following components for visible damage, wear, cracks and welds, loose or missing parts, and proper alignment. The beams, rails, alignment system, truss work, and waterway. 4. Aerial Operational Test Using the turntable pedestal control station, perform the following operations. Ensure operating controls result in appropriate movement of the ladder. Ensure activation of emergency stop prevents movement of aerial device. Ensure movement stops upon return of controls to a neutral position. Observe aerial device and turntable for erratic movements, unusual noises, leaking fluids, and abnormal bending or twisting. Rotate aerial device 360 degrees in both directions. Fully elevate and extend the aerial device. Extend and lower the aerial device into a position for further visual inspection. Inspect each section of the extended aerial ladder and waterway for the following. Visible damage, wear, cracks and welds, loose or missing parts and improper alignment, rungs with visible damage, looseness, loose rung tread covers or weld cracks, evidence of cable abrasions. Inspect extension and retraction and hoisting system with aerial device extended for the following. Visible damage to piping, connections and seals. All sections of piping properly aligned and lubricated to manufacturer specifications. Inspect and test operation of aerial device communication system. Test operation of aerial monitor remote controls. Operate appropriate turntable pedestal controls to remotely rotate, raise, and lower the monitor and adjust screen patterns. Ensure the nozzle is returned to a neutral inline position. Test operation of aerial lighting system. Ensure aerial tracking lights are clean and not damaged. Check for illumination and proper aiming of aerial tracking lights. Ensure tip-mounted floodlights are clean and not damaged. Check for illumination of tip-mounted floodlights. Properly stows tip-mounted floodlights to protect lenses and minimize obstruction during aerial deployment. Using the remote or platform control station, perform the following operations. Operate appropriate controls to elevate, extend, and rotate aerial device. Ensure aerial movement stops upon return of controls to a neutral position. Ensure activation of emergency stop prevents movement of aerial device. Retract and rotate the ladder to align it with the cradle, leaving it slightly raised and extended. Following the manufacturer's instructions, activate the emergency power unit and perform the following operations. Operate appropriate controls to retract and bed the ladder. Ensure the pinnable waterway is locked in the rescue position. Operate appropriate controls to stow one stabilizer. Properly stow remaining stabilizers and return stabilizer pads to storage slots. And return the apparatus to the drive mode. And the last five pages of this policy are all just different inspection checklists. B105.3 Standardized Apparatus Equipment Inventory Purpose is to establish a standard inventory of hose, tools, appliances, and equipment on AFD apparatus. Policy, engines, ladders, quints, and battalion chief vehicles shall be equipped in accordance with their respective standardized inventory. Exceptions to the standardized inventory may be permitted within the provisions of this policy. The standardized inventory list for each vehicle type shall be maintained by the operations support section. The official list shall be posted on the shops at 51st Street webpage on FireNet. Procedures. A. Issued equipment shall be categorized as required, optional, or special equipment. Required equipment. This is equipment that is part of the standardized inventory list for an engine, ladder, quint, or battalion chief vehicle. Optional equipment. 
This is equipment carried on a unit in excess of the minimum amount stated on the standardized inventory. Special equipment. This is equipment that was requested due to a unique hazard or condition for an apparatus or the territory in which it responds. B. The equipment inventories referenced by this policy will be the standard inventory carried by AFD apparatus. Normally, no apparatus should have more than the listed amount in the standard inventory. 1. An officer may request additional standard equipment without making a special request through the chain of command. This request for optional equipment may be filed at the discretion of the supplying entity when there is adequate justification. Storage based on the apparatus in the existing warehouse inventory supports the issuance of the equipment. An example would be extra traffic cones or stabilization cribbing. 2. Request for special equipment shall be through a written request and justification sent through the chain of command to the assistant chief of operations. Issuance of approved specialized equipment will be made as funding and availability of the item allows. An example of a specialized equipment request would be a big wheel for an aerial that frequently responds to wilderness rescues. 3. Other specialized equipment may be issued to some apparatus for testing, evaluation, or specialized reasons. For example, high expansion foam nozzles and hard suction, etc. C. Equipment that is assigned a specific location should be kept in that location to maintain standardization between apparatus, i.e. an adapter or tool designated as being part of the FTC bag should be kept in the FTC bag. D. All apparatus shall be checked daily to ensure the readiness of all equipment. E. All apparatus shall be completely inventoried on a monthly basis against the standardized inventory list. 1. Each shift shall conduct the inventory for four consecutive months. A shift is January through April, B shift is May through August, and C shift is September through December. 2. The inventory will be conducted the first day of the month that the assigned shift works. All personnel should assist in the apparatus inventory. However, it is the responsibility of the fire specialist or acting fire specialist to make certain that the inventory of equipment is correct. If discrepancies are found, the fire specialist or acting fire specialist should notify their company officer and request replacement from the supply entity, operations support, support services, air shops, etc. And three, the completion of the inventory along with the description of any missing or damaged equipment will be documented in the company journal. Missing equipment should be reported as directed in AFD policy D301 report lost or damaged equipment. Extra equipment should be reported to the supplying entity, operation support, station supply, etc. F. Request for replacement of equipment should be directed to the supplier listed on the standardized inventory list. Request for specialized equipment should typically be directed to operation support. Resupply of missing or damaged equipment will depend on its status as required, optional, or specialized equipment. 1. Required equipment will be resupplied from available inventory in as timely a manner as possible. When an item is in high demand or inventory levels are low, distribution of the item may be prioritized. 2. The reissuance of optional equipment will be evaluated on a case-by-case -case basis in accordance with Section 3B3. Previous issuance of optional equipment does not guarantee continued supply of the item. 3. Once specialized equipment has been assigned to a unit, requests for replacements of the item can be made directly through the supplier of the item. Most specialized items are not stocked in the warehouse and are ordered as necessary and funding allows. G. AFD is in the process of converting apparatus, wise, and nozzles to national hose threads. Until all threads are converted, with the exception of 1-inch wildland hose threads, which will remain as iron pipe, Apparatus shall carry an iron pipe to national hose yellow adapter on iron pipe apparatus connections, wise, and nozzles. 
During the inventory, the fire specialist or acting fire specialist should ensure these adapters are used where required. H. When switching to or from a reserve apparatus, all equipment except for 3 and 5 inch hose should be transferred to the apparatus being placed in service. Special attention should be given to ensure the iron pipe to national hose yellow adapters are used where necessary, primarily on some quality engines. Fire specialists or acting fire specialists can use the standard equipment list as a checklist of equipment transferred. If a reserve apparatus is not able to carry all of the assigned equipment, the company officer must prioritize the equipment and then identify the equipment which should be stored at the station until the regular apparatus is returned. If the reserve apparatus lacks a given location to carry an item, that item should not be transferred, i.e. no dead load space for the 2.5 inch Minuteman load. An I for diagrams on specific hose folds, refer to the operations resource page on the Education Services website. D106.1 Command Vehicle 1 Purpose is to establish criteria for response of the CV-1 command vehicle. Background, the City of Austin jointly utilizes the CV-1 command vehicle at many different call types and events. The vehicle's main purpose is to provide a facility to house command and control of emergency scenes. Though ownership is equally shared by several City of Austin public safety agencies, the AFD Communications Division will be responsible for dispatching and delivering the unit to the scene and performing all readiness checks and required maintenance of the vehicle. Definitions A. CV-1 is the radio designation given to the command vehicle apparatus. B. Special event is a large-scale pre-planned public event. C. Emergent event is an unplanned incident. D. Major incident, an incident involving large numbers of personnel from multiple agencies. A major incident will attract media attention and may extend into multiple operational periods. E. Driver, person trained to drive and set up the CV-1 command vehicle. F. Technical specialist, person trained to operate all of the systems installed on CV-1. G. CV-1 program manager, AFD Chief of Communications, responsible for the daily operations of the CV-1 program, reports to the Oversight Committee for CV-1 issues. H. CV-1 Oversight Committee. The committee comprised of directors and or assistant directors from AFD, APD, EMS, and the Office of Emergency Management. This committee sets overall policy and direction for the CV-1 program. Policy. A. Staffing. 1. Personnel from the AFD Communications Division are the primary responders for the vehicle and will be expected to fulfill the duties assigned. 2. Additional responders may be trained and approved to respond with CV-1 from other areas of the fire department and other City of Austin public safety agencies. 3. Technical specialists will be trained by AFD Communications staff. 4. Drivers will be trained by the Communications Division with the assistance of Ed Services. B. Dispatching and Delivery. B1. AFD will normally dispatch CV-1 automatically to the following incident types. Any third alarm incident and downed aircraft alert 3. B2. CV-1 will respond to requests from other partner agencies for any emergent incident anticipated to extend into multiple operational periods. Examples include wide area search and rescue operations, mass casualty incidents, and SWAT incidents. 3. Fire dispatch will page on-call communications personnel and advise them that CV-1 has been requested. CV-1 response will be coordinated by on-call fire communications personnel. Tactical talk group assignments will be designated by the requesting agency. 4. CV-1 will be available for special events that meet pre-established criteria determined by the Oversight Committee. 5. In the event that CV-1 is already committed to a special event and CV-1 is requested for an emergency event, 
The requesting shift commander from APD, AFD, or ATC EMS will coordinate with the shift commanders or their equivalent of the other two public safety agencies and will jointly determine the prioritization need for CV-1. These will be handled on a case-by-case basis. 6. The AFD CV-1 notification group should be utilized to keep all stakeholders appraised of all issues related to CV-1, including its availability. And 7. For safety reasons, CV-1 must have at least two personnel on board at all times when the vehicle is being driven. Procedure A. Request for emergent events shall be made through fire dispatch. B. Request for special events should be directed to the program manager as far in advance as possible. C. Routine issues and concerns including mechanical or technical problems concerning CV-1 should be directed to the program manager. D. It is expected that any requesting agency will return CV-1 to pre-deployment conditions when the incident is completed. All broken or missing equipment must be immediately reported to the program manager. And E. Information regarding any serious mechanical, electrical, operational, and or procedural issues with CV-1 to include availability shall be shared with all stakeholders through the AFD CV-1 notification group. D107.1 Smokebuster Purpose is to establish a policy for the use of the Smokebuster. Policy A. The Smokebuster will be a non-staff unit which may be called upon by any incident commander for the following uses including, but not limited to, 1. Positive pressure ventilation of a structure when the safety of its use can be established, smoke and heat removal, and or dispersing toxic or explosive atmospheres, for example, carbon monoxide or natural gas, etc. 2. Cooling personnel in rehab during hot weather. 3. Any other legitimate use assigned by the incident commander. Procedure A. The smoke muster will be housed at Station 6 and will be designated Smoke Buster 6. B. Smokebuster 6 may respond with Engine 6 to all high-rise alarms to which Engine 6 is assigned, or other alarms to which Engine 6 is assigned as deemed appropriate by the Engine 6 company officer. C. Smokebuster will be dispatched upon request by any incident commander. When requested and there are four or more members staffing Engine 6, one member will be designated to respond with Smokebuster 6 and Engine 6 will remain in service. When there are three members staffing Engine 6, one member will be designated to respond with Smokebuster 6, and Engine 6 will also respond. D. Record keeping for Smokebuster 6 will be the responsibility of both the Engine 6 company officer and the relief driver responding with the Smokebuster. Documentation of maintenance, response, and operation should be noted in the company journal for Engine 6. An ARR must be completed by the responding Smokebuster relief driver for each incident to which the Smokebuster is assigned. E. Relief drivers will be paid to the nearest one quarter hour for actual time spent assigned to an incident. F. Battalion 5 shall be responsible for maintaining a pool of qualified relief drivers for the smokebuster. G. In the event that engine 6 is out of service and the smokebuster is requested, fire dispatch will work through Battalion 5 to provide for its response. And H. Smokebuster 6 will respond code 1 unless specifically requested to respond code 3 by the incident commander or as directed by Engine 6 Company Officer. D-108 Education Services Vans Purpose is to establish a policy for when and how Ed Services vans may be used by other AFD divisions in emergency and non-emergency situations. Policy AFD Ed Services vans may be used in non-emergency situations such as out-of-town training events or by the Honor Guard attending an out-of-town funeral. The vans may also be used for emergency situations such as evacuations, 
out-of-town response, assisting hurricane victims, or other emergency situations. A. Non-emergency use. Requests for non-emergency use of vans shall be made by contacting Ed Services during normal business hours. This should be done as far in advance as practical. The Ed Services Battalion Chief may approve or disapprove requests for use of the vans. The member requesting the use of the vans is responsible for complying with AFD Policy D-102, Use of City Vehicles. B. Emergency use. Emergency use of Ed Services vans may be authorized by the Fire Chief, Assistant Fire Chief, Shift Commander, and AFD Communications. Procedure A. Non-emergency use. Arrangements for use of vans for non-emergency events use shall be made by the following procedures. Contact Ed Services during normal business hours to check van availability. Request a reservation of the appropriate van. If approved, make arrangements to obtain keys, vehicle use form, and gate combination. Ensure compliance with AFD Policy D-102 Use of City Vehicles, including obtaining permission to take the vehicle out of the city, authorization for non-city business passengers, securing parked vehicles, etc. B. Emergency Use 1. During business hours, arrangements for emergency response or use of vans shall be made by contacting Ed Services. 2. During non-business hours, arrangements for emergency response or use of vans can be made by requesting fire dispatch to contact the on-duty FTO. If an FTO is not on duty or it is involved in an emergency incident, AFD dispatch may assign an operations company to respond with vans. The shift commander should also be notified if dispatch activates the vans. 3. An operations company assigned to respond with vans shall use the following procedures. Place apparatus out of service and respond to Shaw Lane. The gate code is available from dispatch. Obtain the lockbox key from the Knox box located on the drill tower, open lockbox located near the fuel tanks. Remove keys for needed vans from the lockbox and fill out the vehicle use form located in the lockbox. Members responding in vans shall utilize portable radios from their apparatus. The officer should designate a radio channel for all van drivers to utilize to ensure communications. The operations company that obtained the van is responsible for returning the van. Upon returning the van to Shaw Lane, members shall ensure keys are returned to the lockbox. If the vans are returned in a condition different from when they were obtained, an explanation should be provided in writing to the Battalion Chief of Ed Services. Examples include low on fuel, dirty, etc. C. Van Safety 15 passenger vans have been shown to have a poor driving safety record due to their inherent propensity to roll over. Therefore, the following safety rules shall be adhered to any time an AFD 15-passenger van is used to transport personnel. Tire pressure must be checked before each long-distance trip to ensure it is within the range of manufacturer recommendations. When feasible, the capacity should be limited to 9 passengers. All passengers should sit towards the front of the vehicle. Avoid placing heavy cargo in the rear storage area and cargo should never be added to the top of the vehicle and speed limits shall be obeyed at all times and seat belts shall be worn. D109.1 Toll Road Usage Purpose is to provide guidelines for AFD vehicles traveling on toll roads. Background In the city of Austin, toll roads have been and will continue to be constructed. AFD companies, especially those in outlying areas, will travel these roads regularly when responding to emergency incidents. Also, the toll roads may assist both emergency and non-emergency AFD vehicles by reducing travel time and improving customer service. Policy, all AFD apparatus and vehicles may use the toll roads for department-related business. When responding to emergency incidents, AFD apparatus and vehicles will utilize area toll roads if they afford the most expedient route. Procedures, A. 
Use of toll roads by AFD apparatus and vehicles. 1. All AFD apparatus and vehicles responding to an emergency may use toll roads. These responding apparatus and vehicles, marked or unmarked, should use the text tag lanes. 2. Fire apparatus should normally proceed through the wide load lanes located at the far right in the toll plaza. 3. All responding apparatus and vehicles must proceed at a safe and controlled speed through the toll plaza while maintaining use of lights and sirens. 4. All responding apparatus and vehicles to an emergency should utilize a tow road if it will reduce the response time to the incident. 5. AFD apparatus and vehicles may use toll roads for department-related business if it will result in fuel savings, time savings, or improved customer service. These apparatus and vehicles, marked or unmarked, should use the text tag lanes. 6. All apparatus and vehicles driving on toll roads must follow the procedures in AFD policy B201 safe driving policy. B. POVs. 1. This policy for toll road uses applies to AFD apparatus and vehicles only, not for personal vehicles. Members who use their personal vehicle on a toll road for AFD business must pay the toll. 2. This toll fee may be reimbursed by AFD if approved by an assistant chief or if meeting the AFD travel requirements. D110.1 Reserve Apparatus Exchange and Inspection Purpose To establish the proper procedure for exchange and inspection of fleet reserve apparatus. Background Although there are different ways of trading into a reserve apparatus, including at the fire station, apparatus exchanges will normally take place at Service Center 6. All other arrangements outside of Service Center 6 must be approved by the battalion chief. Policy Operations engines, aerials, rescues, and command vehicles will be exchanged at Service Center 6 when maintenance or repairs are expected to extend beyond 2-3 to three hours in duration. ARF and brush trucks will be considered on a case-by-case basis. Support or support-type vehicles will go to the appropriate service center to change out. Procedure A. To schedule an apparatus exchange, fleet services will use the following procedure. For after-hours exchange, the company officer will follow 4 through 6. 1. A representative of fleet services will contact the company officer of the apparatus needing maintenance or repairs to schedule an apparatus exchange. 2. The company officer will contact their battalion chief for permission before going out of service. Refusal to accept the change-out assignment must come from the operations BC and should only be considered if a company is scheduled for an assignment that cannot be rescheduled or handed off to another company. 3. If approved by the battalion chief, the company officer will call fleet services back and accept the assignment. If the assignment is not approved, the company officer, with battalion chief approval, will reschedule the assignment with Service Center 6 and or request Service Center 6 call the oncoming shift to schedule the exchange. 4. The company will go out of service when the crew starts removing equipment from the apparatus. Note, with the exception of 3 and 5 inch supply hose, no equipment should be left on the apparatus. Any equipment that will not fit on or the reserve is already equipped with should be stored at the station. Fleet Services is not responsible for any equipment left on an apparatus sent for maintenance or repairs. Equipment determined to be missing when the apparatus is returned is the responsibility of the officer on duty when the apparatus was originally exchanged and should be reported following the procedures outlined in Policy D301 reporting lost or damaged equipment. 5. While the crew is moving equipment, fire dispatch will be notified via radio and the unit IDs will be changed. Fire dispatch will need the unit designation, engine 13, and the apparatus fleet number, 17D045, found on the apparatus fuel card for both apparatus to perform the exchange. 6. Before accepting the apparatus from Service Center 6, the officer shall, 
have the driver perform the daily apparatus general inspection found in policy D-104, Inspection and Preventative Maintenance of Apparatus, and ensure the driver has the ability to operate the apparatus. Any questions regarding its operation should be directed to the Service Center 6 manager or the Ed Services Division. 7. If accepting the regular apparatus back into service, the company officer and driver should go over with Service Center 6 personnel what was done to the apparatus and be satisfied with the results and the apparatus's ability to safely function. Any questions should be directed first to the Service Center 6 mechanic. The AFD operations support captain should be contacted through the normal chain of command if there are unresolved issues. B. Reserve apparatus inspection and documentation. 1. Any inspection that would normally be performed on the assigned apparatus should be performed on the reserve on the normal station inspection schedule. This includes both the daily and weekly inspections. 2. Reporting issues regarding reserve apparatus is a responsibility of the officer and driver. D-201.1 Care and Maintenance of Protective Clothing for Structural Firefighting Purpose is to establish a program for the care and maintenance of structural firefighting clothing. Senate Bill 382 became law on September 1st of 2001. This law incorporates NFPA Standard 1851, Selection, Care, and Maintenance of Structural Firefighting Protective Ensembles. This law will help identify and reduce the safety and health risks associated with the improper handling, care, maintenance, and retirement of protective clothing used for structural firefighting. To increase the safety of its members during structural firefighting operations, the Austin Fire Department shall implement a program to satisfy the requirements contained in NFPA 1851 that meets the following criteria with regard to structural firefighting protective clothing, records keeping, selection, inspection, cleaning, repair, issue and storage, retirement and disposition, procedures for events involving injury or death of a firefighter. Policy A. The Safety Office will be responsible for the following requirements outlined in NFPA 1851. 1. Maintaining a record-keeping system. 2. Making a copy of the manufacturer's instructions for each piece of protective clothing available to all members. 3. Educating members in how to routinely inspect their issued protective clothing. 4. Scheduling advance cleaning and inspections and coordinating repairs. B. Each member that has issued protective clothing for structural firefighting will be responsible for the following requirements outlined in NFPA 1851. 1. Performing a routine inspection after each use, after exposure to an event that may result in damage to the clothing or as warranted. 2. Performing a routine cleaning should protective clothing become soiled or contaminated or as warranted. 3. Making proper notification when an advanced cleaning is necessary. and 4. The proper storage and transportation of issued protective clothing. Procedure A. A copy of the manufacturer's care and use instructions booklet attached to each piece of protective clothing and instructions for inspection and cleaning procedures are available on the AFD safety website on FireNet. And B, members will adhere to the procedures outlined in the care and maintenance of structural firefighting clothing manuals available on the AFD safety website on FireNet. All personnel are required to be familiar with the contents of this manual. D202.3, SCBA and Pass Inspection. Purpose is to ensure an inspection schedule of self-contained breathing apparatus and personal alert safety system PASS devices that ensures compliance with NIOSH, NFPA 1852, and Texas state law to provide for the safety of AFD personnel. Background, Texas Government Code 419.047 gives the Texas Commission on Fire Protection the authority to enforce Section 419.041 SEBA and 419.042 PASS 
the Commission may adopt minimum standards consistent with those sections. In exercising this authority, the Commission has adopted Chapter 435, Firefighter Safety, into its rules. A. In Chapter 435, Section 3, TCFP requires fire departments to maintain and provide upon request by the Commission a department standard operating procedure regarding the selection, care, and maintenance of self-contained breathing apparatus that complies with NFPA 1852 Standard on Selection, Care, and Maintenance of Open-Circuit Self-Contained Breathing Apparatus. B. Chapter 435, Section 9 governs pass devices. Fire departments are required to ensure that the pass device assigned to or available to be assigned to an individual user be inspected at the beginning of each duty period and before each use. Policy A. All SCBAs and PASS devices shall undergo an annual inspection as specified in NFPA 1852, Section 7.2, where an SCBA is assigned to an individual user for a duty period. The inspection shall be performed by the individual user at the beginning of each duty period. The report shall be completed as close to the beginning of each duty period as possible. B. Each individual user shall be responsible for logging on to FireNet and completing the inspection for the SCBA pass alarm, and face piece that they will be using that shift. It should be noted that each inspection box must have something checked. Pop-up boxes with instructions on how to check each component will be available by simply clicking on the component name. This is mandated to comply with NFPA 1852. C. The fire specialist or acting fire specialist is responsible for completing the inspection record for those SCBAs on an in-service unit that are not assigned to an individual user at the beginning of each duty period. This will include all air carts, regulators, and hazmat escape packs. D. Each SCBA that is not assigned to an individual or in-service unit will be inspected weekly, ed services, for example, and must be entered between Monday after 7 a.m. and Friday before 1700. E. Company officers shall be held accountable for ensuring that the inspections are done in accordance with this policy and for timely completion of the inspection records. In non-operations division, the designated staff supervisor will be held accountable for completion of the inspection and record. F. The inspection records are collected automatically by computer and maintained by airshop personnel as required by law. Procedure. A. Each SCBA face piece and pass device will be inspected as follows. Face piece. Check face piece for damage, especially cracks at the regulator insert. Inspect head harness for damage and or worn components. Inspect nose cup, making sure it is behind the chin pocket and properly seated. 2. Cylinders. Check the latest cylinder hydrostatic test date to ensure it is current. Visually inspect the cylinder and valve assembly for physical damage such as dents or gouges in metal or in composite wrapping. Check the cylinder pressure for full 4,000 psi or above indication. If cylinder pressure is less than full, replace with a fully charged cylinder. Ensure that the cylinder is firmly locked in position by the cylinder retention assembly. 3. Back frame and harness assembly. Visually inspect the complete SCBA for worn or aging rubber parts, worn or frayed harness webbing, and for other damaged components. Make sure that the breathing regulator purge valve, the red knob on the regulator, is closed. Fully depress the center of the donning and air saver switch on the top of the regulator and release. The regulator may or may not be installed in the face piece at this time. 4. Hoses. Check that the quick disconnect on the hose to the breathing regulator is engaged properly by tugging on the coupling. Check for worn and or cracked hoses. 5. Pass and heads up display indicators. Slowly open the cylinder valve fully by rotating the knob counterclockwise. 
the Viber Alert should actuate and then stop. The heads-up display will initiate with all five lights on for 20 seconds followed by display of cylinder supply level. If the low battery red light at the far right of the display remains lit or begins to flash, replace the battery according to the battery replacement procedures. When the cylinder valve is opened, the pass device will be activated. You will hear three quick chirps and a green light located on the control console will flash approximately once per second. Two flashing lights mounted on the back frame sensor module will duplicate the lights on the control console display. The pass device distress alarm is now in what is called the automatic mode. If the air saver and donning switch has not been depressed prior to opening the cylinder valve, the vibro alert will not actuate due to the air flowing freely. Compare the air pressure indicated on the console gauge to the pressure indicated on the cylinder gauge. Dock the regulator to a face piece. Don the face mask or hold the face and obtain a good seal. Inhale sharply to automatically start the flow of air. Breathe normally from the face mask and check for normal flow and proper operation. Remove face piece from face. Air should flow freely. Fully depress the center of the donning switch and air saver switch on the top of the regulator and release. The flow of air should stop. Rotate the purge valve a half turn counterclockwise. Air should flow freely from the regulator. Close the purge valve. The flow of air should stop. Hold the unit motionless for 20 seconds. The green flashing lights on the control console and back frame are replaced by bright red lights which flash approximately once per second and are accompanied by an ascending and descending audible tone which increases in volume. This is the pre-alarm mode. Move the SCBA to reset the pass to the monitor mode. Hold the SCBA motionless allowing it to go into the pre-alarm mode, then 12 seconds more allowing it to go into full alarm mode. You will hear a loud continuous three-tone chirp accompanied by the flashing red lights on the back frame and control console. Manually reset the pass by pressing the reset button twice. Movement will not reset the device when it is in full alarm. Test the manual pass alarm by pressing the alarm button on the control console. Manually reset the pass by pressing the reset button twice. Push in and rotate the cylinder valve knob clockwise to close it. To check battery condition when unit is off, Press and hold the yellow reset button on the console for 2 seconds. A green light on the console indicates that the batteries are good. A red light on the console indicates that the batteries need to be replaced. 6. Pass volume. Full alarm is indicated by a loud, almost continuous three-tone chirp from the sensor module accompanied by the flashing of the red signal lights on the back frame and remote gauge console. 7. Regulator. Open the red purge valve slightly to vent residual air from the system. Observe the lights of the heads-up display and verify that they light properly in descending order. Close the purge valve when the gauge needle crosses the one-quarter mark, but before the beginning of the red empty band. The vibro alert alarm should actuate. The red light on the far left of the heads-up display will flash rapidly at 10 times per second. After verifying that all alarms are functioning, open the purge valve slightly to vent the remaining residual air pressure. When the airflow stops, return the purge valve to the fully closed position. Press the pass reset button twice. You will hear an audible click indicating it is reset. If there isn't any residual air in the system, the green flashing lights will continue to flash while a 15 second beep sequence is heard from the sensor module. Bleed the air from the system. As soon as the air has completely bled from the system, the unit will sound a quick two-tone chirp and the pass will be inactive. Ensure the SCBA and face piece are clean and ready for service. B. Each individual shall log on the station computer and complete the inspection record for their SCBA and mask. The inspection record form is accessed through the Air Shops tab located on the main page of FireNet. 
also found on the Fire Depot page of FireNet. If the computer system is down, try entering the data later in the shift. If the system is still down at 11.30 a.m. before going off shift, record the inspection including serial numbers and points of failure in the company journal. C. The fire specialist shall log on the station computer and complete their individual inspection as well as any remaining non-assigned SCBA on the apparatus. D. For non-operation sections with SCBA, the designated individual shall complete the SCBA inspection record weekly. E. To ensure completion within the state-mandated time period, the following officers will receive notification. Daily inspection. Battalion chiefs will be notified of any units within their command who have not completed their inspection the afternoon of the current shift. Battalion chiefs will follow up with the responsible company officer to gain compliance before shift change. Command staff will receive a periodic report detailing instances of misreporting. Data in the report will include unit and shift designation, as well as personnel assigned for the day the inspection was missed. 2. Weekly inspections. On or before Friday morning, section heads responsible will receive a page advising which SCBA have not been inspected. It will be the responsibility of that section head to notify responsible parties to ensure compliance before 1700 hours on Friday. Reports not entered for a week will not be able to be entered retroactively. The reporting period missed will put AFD in non-compliance for that period. F. Critical events. Should a critical event occur involving a member wearing an SCBA, it is vital to the investigation of a line-of-duty death or life-threatening injury that all equipment, knob, and control positions be noted and photographed in the same position that they were found. A very important step in assisting in the investigation is to immediately remove the batteries from the SCBA to eliminate its source of power. This will lock the settings that were in place at the time of the emergency. For the NXG2 air packs, this involves removing the battery stick currently in place. For the X3 air packs, a screwdriver will be needed to remove the batteries. Air mask regulator and air tank valve knobs should not be closed until the knob and regulator control positions are noted and documented, even if pass alarms cannot be silenced until the controls are closed. If photography is not readily available, the position should be noted by counting the number of turns to close the valve and the remaining tank pressure noted. Documenting tank valve, knob, and regulator control positions and closing the SCBA tank valve in an expeditious manner also will allow for tank air to be collected. This documentation of knob and control positions should be witnessed by at least two personnel. Laboratory testing of equipment for malfunction may be greatly complicated by changing control knob positions without proper documentation. G. Repairs. 1. If the pass device has a low battery, the center module will begin to sound a chirp approximately every two seconds. The green lights on the control module and back frame will go out. A red light will appear in the far right of the display, dot, not a square. To replace the batteries, be sure the cylinder valve is closed and all pressure is bled from the system. Pass device should be completely inactive, turned off before replacing batteries or damage may occur to electronic components. Remove the protective rubber cap from the top of the battery compartment. Use a small screwdriver to loosen the screw in the battery compartment lever. Lift and turn the lever one quarter turn clockwise to release. Pull the lever to remove the battery holder. Remove all used batteries from the holder and check for dirt or foreign matter. Check for any damage. Install three new C batteries, Energizer Industrial Alkaline Silver. Do not mix batteries of different age and or type. Slide holder back into the battery compartment with the contact end first. When contact is made, the lights on the back frame shall flash blue once. Turn the lever one quarter turn counterclockwise to lock and fold the lever down flat. 
Tighten the screw in the lever and replace the protective rubber cap, being careful not to over-tighten. After replacement of the batteries, perform a regular operational inspection. Do not call air shops to replace batteries. 2. When an SCBA or other air apparatus, pass device, or face piece needs repair or servicing, remove the SCBA or air apparatus from the unit and mark it with the repair tag. Fill out an air shop's repair request form on the FireNet link. Out-of-service SCBAs and air apparatus should be removed from the fire apparatus as soon as possible. Only air technicians are authorized to repair SCBAs and air apparatus. Unauthorized attempts to repair breathing apparatus are a violation of this policy. Per AFD Policy B207, Air Technician Response, only call for an air tech after hours if putting an SCBA out of service reduces the number of SCBA available below current staffing for apparatus. D301.2, Reporting Lost or Damaged Equipment. Purpose is to emphasize that funding for equipment is limited, that extreme care for the proper maintenance of equipment is essential, and to establish a policy for reporting the loss or damage of equipment. Policy A. Appropriate care and security of Austin Fire Department equipment is a responsibility of company officers and every AFD member. All members shall take care to protect equipment. B. The information within this policy applies only to lost or damaged equipment. Damage to equipment that was the result of the actual motion of a vehicle or apparatus shall be reported as required by AFD Policy D-101, reporting an investigation of AFD apparatus and vehicle collisions. Operation of an apparatus, aerial device, or cab tilt that results in property damage or property damage that occurs when items fall off a moving apparatus or vehicle must also be reported through the process outlined within that policy. Procedure A. Any member who discovers lost or damaged equipment must complete the lost or damaged equipment report available in FireNet. B. Members completing the form shall be directed, per the instructions on the form, to contact their battalion chief or section supervisor. C. In addition to assisting the member complete the form, the member's battalion chief or section supervisor shall determine whether or not the replacement or repair of the item is of an emergent nature. D. Once the form has been filled out completely and submitted, the reporting member will be redirected to Fire Depot based upon the need to replace the equipment as well as the type of equipment that was lost or damaged. The member should complete the appropriate equipment request in Fire Depot. And E. Equipment that is deemed to be of critical need and necessary for response to emergency events shall be replaced immediately by the appropriate section staff. This may be accomplished by the member, the company, their battalion chief, or their section supervisor driving to the appropriate facility to pick up the needed item or the appropriate section may facilitate delivery of the equipment. D302.1 Medical Response Equipment Purpose All AFD companies carry a standard inventory of medical response equipment on the apparatus and maintain a surplus medical equipment inventory at the station. The purpose of this policy is to provide the resources to verify and maintain those inventories. Background the goal of standardizing medical equipment is to make the various bags carried by AFD units more user-friendly. AFD members can immediately identify and retrieve medical equipment from any apparatus. Due to anticipated call volume or call types, there are instances where the inventory will not meet the requirements of a particular apparatus. Use the inventory list as a guide and make adjustments as necessary. However, overfilling a bag may make locating and retrieving equipment difficult and abnormally large equipment supply requests are subject to review. Policy A. Company officers will make certain that at a minimum the medical response equipment carried on the unit and stored in the station conforms to the inventory list. B. 
Company officers are responsible for ensuring that all required medical equipment and PPE are brought on scene to be used as needed during the patient care. C. All medical response equipment, both in the station and on the unit, is to be inventoried once a week and supplies ordered as necessary. This process will be documented in the company journal. D. Medical response equipment carried on the unit is to be inventoried at shift change after each use and restocked if needed. Procedure A. Required on-scene medical equipment. 1. Airway, trauma, exposure control bags, and AED. 2. Each crew member is responsible for bringing a properly equipped PERT pack, personal protective equipment response pack, with them to the scene. B. Automated external defibrillator. 1. The AED should be used according to the Austin-Travis County EMS Clinical Operations Guideline. 2. The AED must be inspected at the beginning of each shift by the oncoming crew. 3. The AED inspection log should be completed daily. After submitting the form, follow the instructions provided if the equipment must be replaced or repaired. 4. For AED batteries, questions, or concerns, contact the Medical Operations Division during normal business hours. If the AED becomes inoperable after hours, the company officer shall contact their battalion chief for replacement. C. Contact the central warehouse during normal business hours for replacement of the following. Airway bag, bag only. Trauma bag, bag only. Lippman stethoscope. Personal protective equipment response pack, bag only. And exposure control bag, bag only. D. During normal business hours, oxygen regulator repair and replacement may be requested through the Fire Depot page on FireNet. After business hours, the unit's battalion chief should be contacted and the faulty regulator exchanged with the one carried by the BC. E. Oxygen cylinders should be replaced from AFD resupply stations. See policy D304, Resupply Stations, for information on resupply of oxygen cylinders. AFD units should not replace oxygen cylinders from EMS units unless exchange at a resupply station is not possible. F. If possible, disposable medical supplies used at an incident should be replaced from the on-scene EMS unit. G. The standard medical equipment inventory list for the apparatus and station is available on the Fire Depot webpage. H. Replacement of lost or damaged equipment, hard goods such as glucometers and stethoscopes, shall require that the responsible member write a report per AFD policy D301 reporting lost or damaged equipment. And I. For issues regarding the Lucas, please contact medical operations during normal business hours. If the problem occurs after business hours, remove the Lucas from service and contact medical operations when business hours resume. Do not return the Lucas to service until instructed to do so by MedOps. D304.1 Resupply Stations Purpose is to establish procedures for resupply of fire extinguishers, absorbent, SCBA cylinders, and oxygen cylinders. Background with the current number of spare fire extinguishers, SCBA cylinders, and oxygen cylinders in the department's inventory, it is more efficient to establish resupply stations throughout the city than have individual requests delivered by operation support personnel. Policy, a supply of fire extinguishers, absorbent, SCBA cylinders, and oxygen cylinders will be kept at each designated resupply station. Companies may exchange extinguishers and cylinders at the stations on a one-for-one -one basis. Resupply station captains will determine the number of bags of absorbent available to an individual company on a case-by-case -case basis. Procedure A. The following are designated as AFD supply stations. SCBA cylinders 1, 3, 8, 14, 15, 17, 18, 19, 20, 27, 28, 31, 35, 36, 38, 40, and AFR. Oxygen cylinders 
1, 3, 8, 14, 15, 17, 18, 19, 20, 27, 28, 31, 35, 36, 38, 40, and AFR. Extinguishers, 3, 8, 17, 35, and 38. Absorbent, 1, 3, 8, 14, 17, 18, 19, 20, 27, 28, 35, 36, and 38. B. Units requesting resupply. 1. Units requiring resupply of fire extinguishers, SCBA, and oxygen cylinders will exchange equipment at a resupply station on a one-for-one -one basis. 2. ATC EMS will be able to exchange oxygen cylinders at AFD resupply stations after hours if absolutely necessary. The station's captain's approval will be required and an email must be sent to air shops documenting the exchange. This exchange will be allowed even if the results in an air technician emergency delivery request made by the shift commander. 3. Units requiring resupply of more than two bags of absorbent should seek approval from the resupply station captain to ensure the station inventory will not be depleted before the next delivery. Once a request for absorbent is made, delivery can take 10 to 14 days. C. Resupply Station Inventory Designated resupply stations will keep a minimum of the following inventory at all times. 45-minute SCBA bottles, 13 to 15 cylinders. 60-minute SCBA and spec op stations, 8 cylinders. Oxygen, 10 cylinders. Extinguishers, dry chemical, 5 to 15 pound or 20 pound. Extinguisher, carbon dioxide, 5 to 20 pound. Absorbent, two pallets of 50-pound bags. D. It is the responsibility of the resupply station captain to ensure appropriate inventory levels are maintained. Inventory should be checked daily and ordered as needed. E. When more than half of the current inventory is empty or has been distributed, a restocking request should be made through Fire Depot page on FireNet. F. Ordering. 1. Normal ordering of resupply inventories is accomplished through the Fire Depot page on FireNet. 2. Orders should be placed during normal business hours, Monday through Thursday, and before 1300 on Friday. Orders made after hours and on weekends will be processed on the following normal business day. Special consideration should be given to ensure that there is an adequate inventory to cover long holiday weekends. And G. Emergency orders of SEBA and oxygen cylinders. Emergency requests for supply station deliveries after hours and on weekends must be approved by the shift commander. See policy B207 air technician response for the proper procedure to initiate after-hour response by an air tech.